we're finishing off Acts 4 today. And the topic that I think I'm going to talk about, I think I'm going to talk about, is believing communities and what happens in these believing communities, in, in believing churches, what happens there. And the last time I preached, funnily enough, we didn't plan it this way, it was on Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. And um, as I read through some of the commentaries, they say that is the first little summary of what the early church looked like. And this, if this thing starts flapping around, just tell me and I'll grab the handheld. Um, I'm a little sweaty. So it, it was a summary last time I spoke of what happens in the early church. And we saw there that the, the early church, after they, they got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship and to one another. They devoted themselves to breaking of bread um, and, and to prayer. Those were kind of the four things that came up in, in verse 42. And, and in that same portion of Scripture, it also talks about that they, the believers had everything in common and that they were selling their goods and their lands and stuff and they were distributing it, distributing it to the poor and thousands were, get, were added to their number. You guys remember that? Yeah. Only Steve? You guys remember that? All right. We're going we're gonna to be a little uh, rowdy today, right? Uh, in case you're a little hot... Uh, Apparently speaking makes you cooler. I, I don't know. Ask James. Um, so t- today we're jumping a little bit because uh, we're, we're going slowly through the book of Acts. And we're in Acts 4, verse 32 to 37, which is part of what they call the second summary within Acts of what the local church or what the, this new community looked like um, as the church was formed. And, and it talks about some of the attributes of, of what that looked like. So let's read it. I'm going to put it up there. Um, I'm sorry, my Bible is here somewhere and I, I misplaced it, but I've written it down. Um, it's fine. Acts chapter 4 verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Thanks, Connor. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. These are, these are big words that are being used here. And feel free to underline. You know, we were, we've just like glanced over. They were one heart. They were one soul. And uh, it, no one said that any of their things belonged to them. It, you know, and they had everything in common. And with great power... The apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace, another one, was upon them all. Verse 34, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each and any as they had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. What a portion of scripture, huh? Incredible things were happening here at the formation of this church. Again, there were one heart. That in itself is a miracle. There were one soul. No one said any of their belongings was their own, but they shared everything. How about this? The apostles were giving testimony, it says, with great power and a great grace. I think this is the only place I remember reading this, where it says a great grace was upon this church. 
No one was needy. Landowners sold their land and gave it to the apostles to distribute as they saw the needs. An amazing time. Now, depending on whether you consider yourself with means or without means, you know what I'm talking about? You may have different uh, reaction, emotional reaction to what we just read. Some of you, you may be thinking, finally, they're getting to this portion of the Bible. Some people around you need to sell their stuff and give me some love. (laughs) Right? Some of you may be thinking that. Some of you may be thinking, actually, I don't have anything to sell, so this really doesn't um, apply to me at all. Right? Anyone? You don't have to put your hands up. Others may be thinking, what? That can't be right. I've got to sell my stuff? Right? So there's the emotional responses that come up when we read Scripture like this. Please, don't just glance over these things. They're in the Bible for a reason. And I hope for us to just look at this through and see how does this apply to our community and not just glance it over because it's uncomfortable. Right? You guys good with that? So let me just deal with a couple of these questions that may or may not have come to your mind. Do these verses propose a new law? Or a new rule for us to follow? No. Not exactly. That's my answer. No, it doesn't. There's no new law here. I'll deal with it not exactly in just a minute. But listen, this was done voluntarily by these believers. It was not compelled by government. It was not compelled by the apostles or the pastors. This was a voluntary reaction these believers engaged in as they were getting saved and they saw the need. It's very important. This is not a recipe for early communism or for this is the way communes should be run. It never says that. This is a narrative of what happened in the early church and the spontaneous outflow of what happened in their hearts. Do these verses suggest that we need to sell our stuff and give it all away because they did? Again, I'm going to say no, Not exactly. Again, there's no rule here that we need to do this. But we're going to talk about the not exactly in a few minutes. Why do I say this? Because Christians still had personal possessions before this and after this. Christians still had homes. Uh, In verse 246 that uh, that I covered last time, it said that the believers were meeting in their homes. So if they had sold everything, right... Um, Think of Priscilla and Aquila. I love to read about them. They seem to have many homes in many big cities around the region where Paul was was, um, ministering. I would say a landowner and a homeowner in those days were probably someone who had means. It was probably a rich person. Nowhere is there any condemnation of Priscilla and Aquila owning property, right? And many Christians, you can go through this, had homes and the church was meeting in their home. This is not a theology or a a verse to say it's bad to own things. In Acts 5 verse 4, I think, Steve, are you dealing with it next week with uh, Ananias and Sapphira? Remember, they got struck down when they brought their uh, half of their possessions and lied. But Peter told them, you had no obligation to sell your property and give away the money. There was no obligation, and this is important for us to understand before we tackle, to to really see what do these verses mean and how do they apply to us. So, with that in place, are you guys a little bit more comfortable, right? Sitting a little easier, that that I'm not about to launch into a a, um, recipe for for, uh, commune living.
But here's what I want to say. Why, why are these verses here? The whole, word, the whole word is inspired by the Lord. It's given by the Lord and is there for a good reason. Paul says every little bit of it is profitable and useful for teaching. So we've got to find something in here. What is the Lord saying to this community of believers here in Chicago in the year 2013? I have a few ideas. I'm going to give you three of why I think these verses are here. Firstly, I think it tells us that believers should look after one another. Quite plainly and simply. This is definitely not a law. And I don't want to put any condemnation on any of you, and neither does the Word. But I believe the Scripture is here to show us an example of what a community could look like when it looks after one another. Amen? Amen? I have a story. I lived in England when I was nine, 19 and 20. There's a lady called Margaret who was very instrumental in, in my walk with the Lord as it is today. And uh, Margaret was quite a, a radical radical lady, and she was, I mean, when I was 19, she was in her 50s, so I thought she was old. Now that I'm almost 40, I realize she wasn't that old, but okay. So Margaret was very challenging in the way she lived and the way she, uh, she did things, and uh, the, the, the topic of abortion came up when, when I was there with her, and, and, and she said, you know, Christians are very quick to say, no, you shouldn't abort, and no, you shouldn't do all that, that sort of thing. Um, she says, but they're not so quick to help these moms who aren't doing this just because it's fun. They're doing it because they're in desperate need. I would say most of them in desperate need and don't know what to do. They're afraid. They're scared. So she said, instead of Christians just lashing out and putting down your political statement about abortion is wrong and that, what are you doing to reach out to these women to say, you have another option that option is, come and live with me. Right? So she said that. I get goosey just thinking about it. She said that, and then it happened. One of the, the teenagers, 19, 18-year-old uh, lady, girl, who was in our group of friends, became pregnant, and she was as petrified as you could be. Her family had not treated her all that well when they heard of the news. And Margaret, who was a... a, a you know, her and her husband were leading a church. She was preaching all over the country, very busy. She had other jobs she was doing and everything. Said to this lady, you don't need to do this. You don't need to abort the baby. She talked her through it. Then she wanted to put the baby up for adoption. And she said, that'd be great too. But I want to say to you, whatever you choose, you have the option to come and live with me in my house and she gave her no time frame. She gave her no rules. She said, you can live with me as long as it takes and as long as it wants, as you want, for you to get up on your feet and take care of this child. I tell you what, I wait, I wait for the day that we as Christians can all talk like that before we just lay down our rules and our condemnation on what's going on in the world today. Amen? Uh, this lady um, ended up deciding to keep the baby. Um, decided not to um, give the baby up for adoption and, um, and, and went and lived with Margaret. And she was there, you know, through the birth, probably about six months into the baby. And as she was doing this, Margaret was also discipling this lady, helping her make better decisions. You know, you don't just slip and fall and get pregnant. There's a series of decisions you made to get there. And she was discipling her and walking, walking a road through with her. 
And six months after the baby was there, she was emotionally more healthy and able to face the world. And on her own decision, decided, I want to go out and, and, you know, get a job. I forget exactly what she did. Today, she's been married uh, 10, 12 years to one of my best friends in England, um, who was a pastor's son who fell in love with her while she was living at the house. And they have they've had a couple more, four more kids. Kathy, three, they have four. They had three more kids together. Um, and he loved the, this child as if it was his own. I, I tell you, and that's the redemptive power of what can happen when we as Christians decide to look after one another, as I believe this verse just gives us a glimpse of what a believing community could look like. Amen? I believe we should look after one another, not under compulsion, but as if we are loving Jesus himself. That's how we should look at one another. God has blessed you with resources. And I tell this to you confidently. If you live here in America, you're wealthier than 80% of the world. God has blessed you. You may not feel it right now, but think about it. Think about it. Think about how God has blessed you. This message is not for that guy with three properties or for this guy with a great job. This message is for you. God has blessed you with money, with a place to live, with resources, with talents, with gifts, with a heart, with a great church, with good teaching, with a community where we love one another. God has blessed you and He's asking for you to open your eyes to your community and see how you can help and, and share a hand. Amen? This is not a law, and I, I trust you, you hear this. This is, this is an example of what this community could look like. And this is already an awesome community. I'm not pointing any fingers, but we got to these verses, and I believe God is speaking to us. Amen? Um, have people in your homes. Share your home. Let someone live with you if, if there needs to be. Buy someone food, and we do such a good job of that. Someone's in need. Buy them a meal. Take them, cook them something. Go to McDonald's if you don't have money. Get a tablecloth and put it on there and feed someone for 20 bucks. Uh, and, you know, bring your wine glasses. Do something. There's, there's so much fun things we could do. This is not just about money. In, in sharing lives and sharing community together. And let me say this. Uh, the, this country, I love it, but we're so divided politically. And we make some of these issues a Democratic or a Republican issue. Let me say this. If you don't believe that government should be the primary means for welfare in this country, what are you doing about it? Amen? Don't just make this a Democrat or Republican issue for them to figure out. What are you, as a Christian, as a community with resources, doing about this fact that there are people on our doorstep who need things? Hey? And don't get paralyzed by the fact that the need is too great. There's no ways I can do it. Because I feel like that often. I drive from Oak Park through West Chicago every Sunday when I come to church. And I drive down there and I'm like, the need is too big for me to do anything about this. But honestly, the Lord is asking you to do it to one person. And then the next person. And then the next person. Don't think you have to solve Chicago's problems. You have to solve the opportunities the Lord gives you. Amen. Do I seem angry? I'm very passionate about this idea. I, I wish we as Christians could put our money where our mouth is. Yeah? Amen. Second idea, why I think these verses are here, is just to give us a glimpse that our money 
really is a barometer, it's a gauge for where your heart is, right? Does anyone get nervous when we were reading this this morning? <laughs> I did. Uh, not this morning, I've been reading it all week, and I got a little nervous. I'm like, ah, gosh, really? I love my house. Do I have to sell it? You know, I, I finally have some savings. Do I have to give it away? And I you got a little nervous. The minute you start talking about very nice things about loving one another and, you, you know, who you are and, and all the nice, lovely things, pray for your city. Oh, yeah, we can get all real passionate about that. The minute Scripture talks about giving your stuff away, suddenly you're like, really? Is that real? Wait, what was the context? <laughs> May, maybe there was a context in here that meant... This was for Hebrew young men. Right? The minute it touches your money, it, 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 it gets to where your heart condition really is. And I want to read this real quick. 2 Corinthians 9, and this is from the message. I think it's kind of fun. It says, I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own, mi- own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting because God loves it when a giver delights in the giving. I'm not coercing you here. I'm not trying to manipulate here. You still have the responsibility to think about how you give and how you give your time and your money. But you need to take that time and think about it. Amen? Amen. Jesus said so so many things about money. I think probably my favorite one in Matthew 6 was, it's this, this verse that says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The verse just before it, it said, don't lay up your treasure here on earth, lay up your treasure in heaven. And then it says, because where your treasure is, your heart will be. Let me think about this verse for a minute. Sometimes we think, I'm not that passionate about people with teen moms. I'm not that passionate. I think it's sad, but I don't get passionate about that, so I'm not going to put my money into that area. Right? Or you think, I'm not that passionate about reaching the poor. I know Nate is. I don't know if you are, but I know Nate is. And you know, that's Nate's thing. He's passionate about that. He should put his money there. I'm passionate about, you know, marriage courses, whatever. You know, and and you think that we have to lead our lives by the thing that we get passionate about and think that that's what necessarily we need to be doing. What if what Jesus said here is, where you put your money... Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Does that make sense? Maybe we simply need to take Scripture for what it is and says, Scripture says, I need to look after one another. There's a guy who sits next to me who just lost his house and I have an extra room in my house. Maybe I need to put my money where that is and maybe my heart will follow and I will feel passionate about helping this person out. Do you see what I mean? All right, don't let our emotions rule us. Probably the biggest thing my dad always taught me as a, as a young kid who was a very emotional musician, and I was writing love poems and, you know, things I had no clue about, but I heard Color Me Bad sing it, so I thought it must be good, you know. <laughs> Seriously, remember Color Me Bad? Um, it's not a very good band. I, li- I liked it. But my dad said, you know, you're, you're letting your emotions rule your life. Let your decisions rule your life, and your emotions will follow it. Amen. All right. Now, there's always the other side to that. I get that, but you get my heart. Now, does God tell us to give everything away? I asked the question earlier. I said, no, not exactly. 
I do believe there are some here who God will ask that. I do believe there are people here God will ask you to sell your stuff. He may ask me to sell my house, to sell out, to cash in, and go and plant a church in India. He may do that. He may do that to you. He may so stir your heart. For <laughs> Steve is like, yeah, India. Okay. <laughs> uh, the, the point here is don't hold so tightly onto your dreams and your things and your stuff that God has given you in the first place to say, no, this is my stuff. Obviously, he'll never say that to me because he gave this to me. Maybe the Lord will be touching your heart and speaking to you about planting churches. And let me tell you, this couple here, and I've said it before, gave up everything to come to Chicago. You may have to give up everything to go to Houston or Boston or Seattle or Indiana somewhere or Atlanta to go and plant a church. And maybe he's going to ask you to cash in and sell your house and use the equity on your house to get you going for the first year. Do you believe God could ask you that? Now, settle this in your heart now before he asks you that, yes, Lord, when the time comes, I'll do it. Because when the time comes and you have to then deal with your stuff and how you deal with the stuff that God has given you in the first place, really, guys, this is so important. And I say this not lightly. Kathy and I lived in a condo in Oak Park for six years with our third child. How old was Nessie when we moved out? A year or two? Two years. We had three kids in our condo. We didn't have a, a deck. We didn't have anything. And we were struggling. And finally, we got a house. And we love our house. And often, I have to say to the Lord, gosh, I love this place. If you tell me to go, I'll go. I, please don't tell me. But, 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 but you have to get to this place. If God has blessed you with a lot, you have a lot to give up. If he's blessed you with not so much, maybe the decision's going to be easier for you. But wherever you are, get your heart to the place where your money will follow what the Lord is telling you to do. You good? You good with that? Third thing that I thought this, these verses just highlight is that the gospel does and can lead to extraordinary behavior. Do you, do you agree with me that this was an extraordinary action and thing that happened to this community of churches? This was not an organized event. It was not a coerced result of people following an ideal of Karl Marx or whatever. These people were responding to the gospel that came into their hearts. And they said, all I have is yours, Jesus. All I have is yours. May as well sell it now and give it to this guy. Right? This is a spontaneous, abundant, generous display of what happens when the gospel truly hits a community and amazing things can happen. Remember verse 33, it said that a great grace was on them all. And at that time and that place, there was a great grace on this church. It never happened before in that way. It, may not, it never happened again in Scripture in that way. It was not taught or coerced. Scripture does not suggest that we have, as a church have to emulate what you saw there. Trying to model that thing, saying, oh, that's what they did in Acts 4, so we should be doing this. It was a spontaneous outpouring of their response to Jesus, to the gospel. In today's world, maybe God will cause this to happen again. I don't know. 
or maybe it doesn't, but the truth remains that when the gospel hits a community in such a corporate way where they're in one heart and one, one soul, extraordinary things can happen. We know, each of us, that individually when we got saved, our lives were transformed, it was changed. And, and God may have led us to do extraordinary things. It's magnified when a community becomes one and these types of things, just a corporate anointing or a corporate happening just pours out on a church. And he causes a whole church, a whole community to just do crazy things. According to Scripture, don't worry about the Kool-Aid. There's no Kool-Aid at the back. But you hear what I'm saying? Amazing things can happen when God, the gospel gets a hold of a community. We as a church believe and we trust that the gospel will take a hold of this city and in this nation. Maybe if a large percentage of Chicago suddenly responds to the gospel, maybe our crime issues will be solved. Because instead of people worrying about their identities and their territories, they'll be worried and concerned about the gospel of Jesus and one another. That's what I have faith for. Obviously, we want to solve the crime issues. Obviously, we want to tackle the poverty issues. But the more and more, the more people get saved, the more people get captured by the gospel of Jesus. I trust these sorts of things can happen overnight where a community, a whole community can change. Maybe our class division, our racial division in the city can be changed overnight as people's hearts, people's hearts respond to the gospel of God. Amen? I just want to finish and just summarize here. These verses are not introducing a new law because we live in the era of grace. I do believe these verses are here to show us what it can look like when believers start looking after one another and generously and selflessly and abundantly sacrifice for the sake of each other. I believe these verses can reveal to us the condition of our own hearts in relation to our money and our possessions. They can and they do mine. I believe that's why it's here. And I really believe these verses display an example of the extraordinary things that can happen when the gospel of Jesus hits a people as opposed to just one person at a time. You saw 3,000 or 5,000 people getting gathered in one day. When that sort of thing happens, extraordinary things will happen in those communities. And hopefully we as a church say, say, yes, Lord, amen, let it be so in our time. If there's someone sitting here today and you're reading this stuff and you think this is just too amazing, too unbelievable, I want to tell you this can happen. This happens to each one of us when we responded to the gospel of Jesus in our heart. But it can happen so much more exponentially when it hits a community. If you're sitting here and you don't know Jesus, I want to pray with you. All you need to do is simply say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God and I want to put my life in your hands. I respond to your calling and to your leading of of my name right now. Is there anyone like that here today that I can pray with and just in a simple prayer lead you into, into the arms of God? Doesn't mean you have to join this church. Doesn't mean you have to do anything different, but just respond to the call of Jesus. Is there anyone like that here today? So, Father, we we thank you, Lord, for these verses. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that cuts to the heart, Lord, and gets past the peripheral issues of 
of how it looks and feels, but gets to the heart issues of what you're calling us to. I thank you, Lord, that you have transformed our lives through your gospel. And I thank you, Lord, that you will transform this city with your gospel, with your grace, with your power, with your provision, with your generous giving, Lord. We love you, Jesus, and we submit our lives to you. We say, Lord, everything we have, we give to you. Amen. Amen. Dave. Oh, there we go. Thanks. Um, awesome, awesome things um, to really sit before the Lord and to consider for us as a church and for us individually in our own lives. Um, so we are going to officially close here, but I want to say to everybody, don't, don't rush off. There are refreshments outside. And also, please, again, if you're visiting with us, um, there's some information out there for you. And there's also a visitor's table. We'd love to just get a chance to meet you, say hello, shake a hand, uh, find out a little about you. And again, thank you for coming. Um, and if you uh, would desire to have some prayer today for something that's going on, you would like to press in to the Lord for some healing or just get some prayer for things that are going on, we're going to have a team up here up front of fantastically good-looking people. I'm kidding. Um, to, uh, to pray for you. So please know that that is there. Thanks so much, everybody, for coming today. Thanks again. Dave, for for sharing that, and uh, have a wonderfully awesome not-too-hot Sunday, and we'll see you next wonderfully awesome not-too-hot Sunday. Cheers.